Okay, we're continuing on in chapter 22. Uh, we got up to the top of page 97. Of course, uh, chapter 22 is dealing with completeness and security. Last week we dealt with our completeness uh, in Christ. You know, Paul tells us that in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and that we are complete in him. Peter tells us that we have everything necessary for life and godliness. You know, the scriptures are clear that everything we will ever need for time and eternity is found in our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now today we're going to be dealing with the issue of our security. And we're going to see that security is another thing that rests on our position in Christ. Our security doesn't rest on our daily condition. It doesn't rest on our life. What we're doing on a day-to-day basis. Our security rests on the fact that we are in Christ. And therefore... Nothing can ever separate us. Now, there are a lot of Christians in the world today who either lack assurance of their salvation or they struggle in the area of security. There are those on one end of the uh, of Christianity who lack assurance because in both these groups are very works-oriented, very uh, focused on their daily condition. There's one group that, that says, well, if my life does not uh, show forth, uh, you know, a certain degree of righteousness, then I probably was never saved. You know, and they're saying, this is the issue of perseverance of the saints. If you're really saved, then your life is going to show it. And so there's this fear that if your life doesn't measure up to a certain place, you never were saved. There's another end of the spectrum that feels like that if they don't live up to a certain level, they'll lose their salvation. And they're the ones that hold to the fact that they're saved by faith but kept by works. Both of them become very works-oriented. One trying to constantly prove that they are saved. The other trying to keep themselves saved. But in both instances, their focus is on their own lives. Their focus is not on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the focus is in the wrong place. Now today we want to look at the issue of security. And we pick up right at the top of page 97, <clears throat> just to the, uh, the paragraph that starts there, <clears throat> where, where it says, secure in Christ. And he says, based on the preceding fact. What preceding facts? Well, that, you know, we are uh, righteous standing in the eyes of God. Our justification comes from being in Christ. Our assurance comes from being in Christ. Our reconciliation to God is because we are in Christ. Our acceptance by God is because we are in Christ. You know, our completeness comes from being in Christ. Based on those facts, he says the eternal security of the believer becomes a foregone conclusion. 
He says, you know, once you understand, you really shouldn't have a problem with security. You know, if you know that you stand before God clothed in the very righteousness of Christ... You know, if you know and believe that God says that, you know, you've been totally reconciled to Him. If you believe what God says about your acceptance, you aren't going to have a problem with security. But that's where, even last week when we looked at completeness, He pointed out that really, you have to Start with the most basic things. If you don't understand your justification, you are not going to understand your completeness. You know, if you don't understand the base of your reconciliation, the basis of your acceptance, the basis of your assurance, you are going to struggle in the area of seeing your completeness. And the same is going to be true concerning security. And I talked about last week that... Paul, when he wrote his letter to the Romans, laid down a very progressive argument. And he starts with justification and he moves on to reconciliation. And, and, you know, there's a progression to it. And he doesn't get to dealing with our Christian lives until he has laid down some of these foundational principles. But, you know, he says, based on the preceding facts, the eternal security of the believer becomes a foregone conclusion. Once the Holy Spirit establishes the Christian in the previous steps, there can be no question about this one. But, he says, without the required scriptural preparation, there's bound to be a nagging question mark hovering in the background. Am I unconditionally for and forever saved or not? Or am I on probation? And that's where a lot of Christians are. Because a lot of what the messages they've heard are so focused on how we ought to be living. Rather than on who we are in Christ. Now, how we live is important to God. But it's meant to be an outflow of our relationship to Christ. And if my focus is on trying to live a certain way, my focus is in the wrong place. I've been there. I've spent time in my earlier Christian life so focused on my life and most of the time feeling very down about how I'm failing in this area or failing in that area and struggling with this and struggling with that. My peace in the Christian life has come from getting my focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. My prayer in the morning isn't, Lord, help me not to sin today. My prayer is, I thank you, Lord, that I am in Christ. I thank you that I am accepted. Lord, I want the very life of Christ to be seen in me today. I thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit 
is tirelessly working to conform me to the image of his of your dear son and i want to cooperate with your spirit i want to hear him i want to heed him i do not want to quench or or uh grieve him i want my eyes to be where they need to be today lord and trust him to guide me Now he says the secure believer may now and then be accosted by those who strongly oppose any thought of unconditional eternal security. They refer to it as that damnable doctrine and insist that such belief results in lawlessness. What these dear people fail to grasp is that the believer who truly stands in the grace of positional security is the one that most fully fears God and hates sin. See, there are those who say, man, we can't teach eternal security. That's just going to encourage people to go out and sin. But those who hold to that view are very law-based in their thinking. And they're very focused on the believer's condition. It's They're law-based in the think that we've got to hold something over their heads to make them do right. The new nature does not need something held over its head to do right. The new nature flows from Christ. And that's why he says the believer who truly stands in the grace of positional security is the one that most fully fears God and hates sin. But he goes on to say he hates sin for what it is, not just for its consequences. Those who, you know, uh, are focused on this idea that somehow if they don't live up to a certain standard, they can lose their salvation. They, their fear of sin is just the consequences of it. Yeah. Okay, that's his next sentence. Let me pull that up here. His is not a slavish fear. It is not a fear of losing God's love, but offending and grieving it. My fear is not that God will somehow reject me. My fear is that my life will not measure up. To what it has the potential to be. My fear is grieving the God I love. There's a healthy, it's a reverential fear. Rather than a fear of punishment, it is a reverential fear that we so have such awe of God and such desire that our lives be pleasing to Him. That, you know, that is, is the fear that comes from 
you know, our security in our relationship uh, with Him. You know, he quotes from the psalmist, Psalm 130, verse 4. But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. <laughs> the psalmist says what? What brings about uh, this reverential fear is the, the fact that we know God forgives. It causes us to have this attitude towards Him. He says the fear of the, uh, here he goes on to explain that, the fear of the secure believer is reverential trust coupled with hatred of evil. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. If I have this reverential awe of God, I'm going to hate evil. I never question whether my salvation is secure, but I hate the sin in my life. I hate the things I struggle with. I hate the things, the areas in which I fail. Not because I fear that it's going to cause God to reject me, but because it doesn't measure up to who I am in Christ. I hate that my life doesn't reflect with perfection who I am in Christ. And I look forward to the day when I'm in His presence and it will. And I'm thankful that God is tirelessly working to move me in that direction. Titus 2, 11 and 12. On, uh, in our senior fellowship the other day, Ron was... Uh, drawing from a chapter in a little book, Discipline by Grace. Discipline by Grace uses this, these two verses really as the whole, uh, uh, theme of the book. It says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Teaching us. What is teaching us? The grace of God. The grace of God is teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. It's not the law that's teaching us. It's not the threat of the loss of salvation that's teaching us. It's the very grace of God that's teaching us. I like this next sentence. He says, grace banishes all guesswork and gives us assurance. The law keeps one guessing. A legalistic mindset will keep you guessing. Am I really saved? Or am I always going to be saved? Where do I stand? Grace takes out the guesswork. I know that because God is dealing with me in grace, that I am saved. That I will always be saved. And that God, that I am God's workmanship. He is the one that has to shape me into the life of Christ, into the very character of Christ. It's His work. Mine is, uh, is to walk by faith, to believe God in all of these things, to trust Him. 
To learn to see myself through His eyes. And let Him do His work. Anything in my life that might in some way appear Christ-like hasn't come from my self-effort. I assure you that. Anything in my life that might look somewhat Christ-like in character has come from the work of the Holy Spirit in me. As I have put my confidence in Him and trusted Him. Now he says, the truth of security holds the Christian firm in the midst of the process of growth. And that's important. You know, on a day-to-day basis, you know, the Holy Spirit is seeking to work from who you are in Christ and seeking to change your daily life. He's really seeking to change you in your condition. And as he does so, he's going to reveal some things to you that really aren't very pretty. And if I'm insecure in my relationship with God, when he starts showing me those things, you know, it really makes me insecure. It makes me begin to question, am I really saved or not? But see, as God shows me ugly things in my life, I don't doubt my security and I know that God is revealing those ugly things to me because lovingly He wants them dealt with. As I I think I've quoted before, uh, a quote I heard from Larry Crabb years ago that has stuck with me is that God's love relentlessly pursues our best when we would happily settle for less. You and I would settle for comfortable. God won't. His love won't let him. And therefore, in his love, he is going to be showing things to you and me that at times are painful to see. But I know that he's showing me those things lovingly and that as he shows me those things, I am being held securely in his hand. And that enables me to face them. And not try to hide them. Not try to deny them. Because I know I'm secure. He says it's the insecure believer who is naturally unstable and flounders from one experience to another, never learning and therefore never arriving at the truth. Insecurity just makes us flounder around. You know, stop and think about it. Those of you who are parents. Does making your children feel secure in their relationship to you encourage them to disobey? You know, do you have to hold over your children uh, the fact that, that if they don't do what you're, you're going to disinherit them? We know oftentimes it's, it's an insecure child that acts out the most. 
Security doesn't encourage us to go against God. It doesn't encourage me to sin. I'm totally secure in my relationship to Christ because I'm in Him. But I don't want to sin. I don't want to displease my Father. I certainly don't want to, you know, dabble in sin knowing that nothing good comes from it. He says, resting in our eternal position frees us from the futile and sinful self-effort of trying to make our condition the basis of our security. As I rest in my eternal position, I don't have to struggle on a day-to-day basis to make my life look like something that I feel would cause God to want to hang on to me. He says, abiding in our eternal security in Christ gives the steadfastness of faith necessary for the Holy Spirit to carry out His gracious ministry within. That of dealing with self in crucifixion. We dealt with that when we were dealing with the smaller book, looking at how God has dealt with the old man. He nailed him to the cross. He didn't try to fix him. says, you know, for the, to carry out his gracious ministry within, that of dealing with self in crucifixion and thereby causing us to what? Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God doesn't want me focused on fixing my life. He wants me to focus on growing in my understanding of grace. He wants me to grow in my relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. And people will say, well, what about the imperatives in the New Testament? Especially you get over into Romans 13 and beyond. What about those imperatives? You know, Paul at one point there says, not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but let each man evaluate himself according to the measure of faith that God has given him. And a lot of people, I think, totally misunderstand what Paul's saying there. They take the word measure and use it as meaning quantity. And they say, God gives each of us a different amount of faith. That's not what Paul's saying. The word translated measure there is not a measure, a word for volume. It's a, it's the word for a measuring tool. It's the word from which we get meter. And Paul says, don't think more highly of yourself, but let every man Value self, uh, evaluate himself based on the yardstick of faith. And what is the yardstick of faith? It's what follows. Those things that follow are not the, to be things that we work on producing, but we hold that yardstick up against our life to see if we indeed are men and women who are living by faith. If we're living by faith it will begin to reveal itself in those ways. 
You know, Paul, 2,000 years after the law was given, comes on the scene and says, hey, the law was never given to teach you how to live righteously. It was to show you you needed a Savior. It was to bring you to Christ. A lot of Christians think the imperatives in the New Testament are to teach us how to live righteously. No, they're to bring us to Christ. Not as Savior, but as our life. They're to bring us to that Romans 7 experience of saying, the good I want to do, I can't do. And the evil I don't want to do, I can't avoid. Oh, wretched man that I am, who is going to deliver me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. But people take that yardstick and they make it their goal. And they try to produce it themselves rather than holding it up against their life and saying, Wow, I still have areas in which I need to grow in my relationship with Christ. I still have areas that are not Christ-like. About the time you think you have arrived in your Christian life, go back and read some of those passages. Start in Romans 12 and read, read forward through, through Romans. It'll show you you haven't arrived yet. But then don't make that your goal, your target. Make Christ your target. Focus on Him. He says the spiritual explanation for the opposition to true eternal security is not the claim that it produces lawlessness... It is rather that those who oppose it do not exercise faith in the word, that which would enable them to see and accept their position in the risen Lord for assurance, acceptance, and security. They are condition-centered, hence self-centered and earth-bound. On the other hand, the believer who knows he has died to sin and has been recreated in his in the risen Lord Jesus, understands that he has no other position before God than the very life of Christ. Quoting from Galatians 3.26, For ye are all the children of God. How? By faith in Christ Jesus. Not by your good works. By faith in Christ. Romans 8.17, And if... Children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. We share an heirship with Christ. Then 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are the sons of God. That is who we are right now. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. He said, right now we are the sons of God, but our lives don't fully show right now what we're going to be. It doesn't fully reveal who we are. But we know that when He, that is Christ, shall appear, we shall be like Him. Again, I love that verse because it's, John doesn't say, well, if I go on, we shall be like him for what? For we shall see him as he is. 
John doesn't say, well, you'll be like him for God will finally give you everything you've been lacking. No, he said, when you finally look on Christ, when you finally see him as he is, then you will finally realize who you are and, and all that you have the potential to be. And you, it will transform you. I, you know, John assures us when we look on Christ, we will be like Him. I am convinced that the more we come to see Christ as He is today, the more we will be transformed into His likeness today. The more I really come to see Him, the more He will change me. But if I'm focused on fixing my life, my focus isn't on the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that by experience. He says, it is certainly not yet manifest in our daily condition what we already are in our position. Or what we shall be when he appears. My daily condition doesn't accurately show completely who I am in Christ. It doesn't change who I am in Christ, but it doesn't fully show. And it doesn't fully show what, what I'll be like when, when I'm one day in His presence. But, he says, the resting believer does not rely on appearances. It's not about how my life looks. Neither is he affected one way or another by his condition. He knows he is accepted and, and secure on a different basis altogether. That of his position in Christ, the man of God's choosing. I'm secure because I am in Christ. I'm accepted because I am in Christ. And he says, this is not carelessness, but confidence in him. My confidence is in what God has said. My confidence is in what God has, uh, has done. He says, in quietness and assurance, we are to continue waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who also shall confirm us, confirm you unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus. We're to wait for the coming of Christ. And he's going to confirm us as his until the very end. And one day we will be totally blameless in his sight. Now he goes into just a number of different areas in which our faith assures us and gives us confidence in our security. He starts out by, he says... The believer who rests in the Son of God knows he is eternally secure. He quotes from Colossians 3, verses 3 and 4. For you have died. We died with Christ to what we formerly were. Our relationship to the old has been broken. We've been given relationship to the new. He says, you have died and your life is hidden. Where? With Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. 
And Romans 5.11, and not only so, but we also joy in God through the Lord Jesus by whom we have now received the atonement. Atonement having to do with being made at one. We have been made at one with God. How? By our relationship to Christ. We rest in the fact that we are in Him. He says, the believer who rests in the sovereignty of God knows he is eternally secure. For whom he did foreknow, and, and foreknow has to do with having knowledge in uh, beforehand. God knew everything about you, everything about me before we were saved. There's nothing that's going to come into our lives that caught him off guard, that he didn't plan for. For whom he did for no, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. God determined that those who enter into salvation are going to one day arrive at conformity. We are predestined to be conformed. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, whom he called, them he also justified, whom he justified, he also glorified. Romans eight twenty nine and 30. And in verse 24 of the uh, little short letter of, uh, written by Jude, he says, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his presence of his glory with exceeding joy. God is able to protect us, to keep us. He says, the believer who rests in the justice of God knows he's eternally secure. To declare his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. Romans 3.26 here in Romans 3, Paul points out that because we are in Christ, because of, of the fact that our relationship to Him declares us to be righteous, <coughs> God is totally righteous and just in accepting us. His justice is satisfied. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ hath uh, once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And then Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And there... The word law having to do with the operating principle. For the operating principle of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the operating principle of sin and death. He says, The believer who rests in the will of God knows he's eternally secure. 
1 Corinthians, I mean John fifteen sixteen. You have chosen me, but I have chosen you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Then 1 Corinthians one thirty. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who God has made unto us redemption. God's will is keeps us secure. And then finally, the believer who rests in the love of God knows that he's eternally secure. Jeremiah 31, 3, he says, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness I have drawn thee. And then we've got that beautiful passage in Romans 8. And he just takes some excerpts from it. It's a good passage to sit down and just read through the totality of it. But he says, you know, he asks the question, what shall separate me from the love of God? Or he says, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution? And he goes on and names a lot of other things. And then he says, for I am persuaded, fully convinced, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He skips over part earlier where he says, you know, God's the one who justified us. Is he going to condemn us? And he says, you know, Christ is the one who who saved us. Is he going to condemn us? No. And then he names all these different ones. And then just to be safe in case he missed something, nor any other creature, you know, anything else I didn't think of, (laughs) Nothing is going to separate us from the love of God. Which is where? In Christ Jesus. We are in Christ. And there nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. That love that is going to relentlessly pursue our best. No matter what. Now... It brings us to the end of the chapter. Any questions? Now next week's prayer Sunday, so we'll pick up on the next chapter after that. Yeah. I think it's just, when I say face it, is we don't hide from it. We acknowledge it. We let him deal with it. And, you know, we go back. How do we handle it? We confess it. We acknowledge it to him. And we trust him. You know, first of all, we accept, uh, we bask in his forgiveness. And our prayer is, Lord, you know, I want you to show me Christ's provision where this does not have to continue to rule my life. 
But I, you know, I can face it and then I can, I can look to Christ realizing that if I'm complete in Christ, what I need for dealing with this sin is there. And I think my prayer can also be, Lord, you tell me that I have died to all this and I'm alive to something new. I want to learn to live in that, that realm. Now, again, I think one of the big mistakes we make oftentimes is then, you know, God convicts us of a sin, which we need to see, and we confess it. There we need to just accept his forgiveness and pick up and walk on and get our eyes on him. We don't need to have our eyes on that sin and say, I'm going to try not to do it again. I'm going to try not to do it again. I'm going to try not to do it again. Because what does that do? The more we focus on that sin, the more it draws us. It's like going on a diet. And I'm not going to eat this, I'm not going to eat this, I'm not going to eat this, and the next thing you know, you eat it. Why? You know, I'm not going to eat this piece of cake, and you just think about that piece of cake, and you think about that piece of cake, and that piece of cake becomes more and more appealing, and you eat that piece of cake. You can't gain freedom from sin by focusing on the sin. You gain freedom from sin by focusing on the Savior. And when I sin, you know, my, I guess, when I sin, and I do from time to time, <laughs> when I sin, I acknowledge it to the Lord, but I think along with that I acknowledge, Lord, I have stepped off of the ground of who I am in Christ. I have, I have let the flesh influence me i have let that fleshly nature which you hung to the uh, hung onto the cross i have left it from the cross influence me and i want to get my eyes back on the lord and i want to keep my eyes on him and i want to walk on that's why i said you know my prayer used to be and you know i'd spend all this time trying to think through all the sins i might have done and not confessed and spent half my prayer time on that and then praying that god would help me not do this and help me not do that and now my prayer is lord i just want to learn to live like the new creation i am I want to look like a child of the Most High God. I want to look like a citizen of heaven. And let Him guide me. And when I, if when I sin, I say, yes, Lord, that was sin. I thank you that Christ covered that sin. And I want to just pick up and walk on with you. And, I, yeah. Another thing that is so meaningful is, you know, when we're struggling with Stop and say to ourselves and to the Lord, this is not who I am. Lord, if I give away this, I am living as someone I'm not. Yeah. I am a new creation in Christ and I don't want to choose this. Yeah. And I pray that your spirit will enable me, will teach me, will will strengthen me yeah. in this struggle. Yeah. I would not dare fall prey to it yeah. because this is not who I am. Yeah. And, you know, if you'll remember when we were going through the smaller book before, I had two different posters up here. I had the old man hanging on the cross and I had the new man. Sin is the result of, the, of us letting the old man guide us. 
It's not the result of my new creation life. And so, all too often we get focused on the symptom rather than the source. We look at that sin and we don't realize that that sin is the symptom of something deeper. That sin is the result of the fact that I have stepped over into the realm of the old life. I have let it influence me. Rather than walking on in my new creation life. And so... What we do sometimes then, we start trying to fix the old man. And I point over here because that's where I used to have that one hanging and maybe you can still see it in your mind's eye. But, uh, you know, we, we focus on the sin and we're trying to fix the old man. The old man can't be fixed. That's why God crucified him. And so recognize that the sin is a symptom of having stepped over into the old and acknowledge it for that And get your eyes back over where it needs to be. On the new creation life that you have in Christ. And walk on there. Good question though. I don't know if you were looking for that much of an answer. (laughs) Okay. We're out of time. Let me have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for our security in Christ. And Lord, I pray that the more we come to see who we are and what we have in Christ, the more we'll hate sin and the more we'll truly desire that our lives manifest forth the life of Christ bringing glory to you. Lord, we pray for the service ahead of us. We thank you for the time we can spend praising you in song. And Lord, we look forward to our time in the word. Pray that you would just open our eyes to the truths you would have each of us to learn. First, in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.